Time now for the balloon party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Yes, 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 yes. I can't hear anything, so I have no idea if this is on the beat. It was pretty good for not, being, really? for not right? being able to hear it. Yeah, it was a yeah. remix. Uh, it's a balloon party, 101 ESPN. My name is Tim McKernan. It is your pleasure to hear me. I hope that doesn't come off the wrong way. That's Action Jackson. Darren Pang with us at 1015. We got a lot, man. Oh, yeah. Uh, I was just talking with Randy Carricker, as you always have to kind of like <laughs> scream 10 seconds, uh, and Matt Rocchio. Uh, who were in the studio as we were coming in, Carrie Davis, uh, and they're talking to the great Mike Ryder, executive producer extraordinaire, and uh, we're talking about what they talked about on the opening drive. So here's what we got. We got the World Cup. Yep. Uh, Ken Rosenthal's report. Uh, we have audio of Mike Maddox, um, which we played on TMA, but I want to play here on 101 ESPN because I don't believe that they played this. This was only me and my Twitter creepery uh, seeing this interview with Chris Russo. Uh, it's good stuff. It's detailed on not just Maddox, who, according to John Zalak, was getting out of the travel and the grind of being a pitching coach, and then three weeks later became a pitching coach again, and this time with Bruce Bochy and the Texas Rangers. Um, albeit he does have uh, connections to Dallas. He lives in the area. But um, also detail on something that I, I think we'll be talking about this years from now, considering that we're still talking about it nearly two months from now, and that is game one and the thought process on Helsley and Quintana. Um, and he gives a detailed uh, explanation, and then also something that I have a feeling is going to frustrate people when they hear it. So here's what we got, Jay. We got World Cup. Yep. We got Darren Pang talking blues with us at 10.15. Yep. We've got the Ken Rosenthal Cardinal Report. What is the Cardinal move going to be? What he says the priority is. He talked with John Mazalak and also his analysis of what it would look like for the Cardinals. You know that they're going to spend money. I just There's no way they're not because Mazalak said it. And I know you might go, oh, he just said it. I'm telling you, he's not going to say that if he doesn't know. And part of me is Nolan Arnato said, I'll come back, but we're going to go out and do something here this offseason. Um, and uh, also Mike Maddox on the uh, Game 1 uh, decisions, both on Quintana and Helsley. And what he was doing when Helsley, Helsley was having some problems, which might confuse you, candidly. Yeah. Uh, but all of that is coming up. That's what we have for you. You are welcome to get involved on the show anytime you would like. 65780 is how you can text in. You can leave a mic drop. Jackson seemingly not playing them once again. That's something that I'm a little irritated with, and I have passive-aggressively sent emails to management to complain about it so uh, you can leave one and jackson will not play it so that's just something that uh, i've noticed we haven't played one in a while and i know stephen wildwood's leaving him i know he is <laughs> told us today that he gets lightheaded after he leaves them. <laughs> yeah, he says he leaves him and he's gonna have to wait until <laughs> january because he thinks he might have a heart attack he starts to see stars and he's gonna start losing weight in january and that's when he'll feel comfortable leaving one again. it's nice that the motivation for him to lose weight is so they can leave mic <laughs> so drops, leave mic drops. <laughs> uh all right jackson let's start here uh which producer did you take on a date yesterday to watch the united states beat iran i i didn't take any producers on any dates i watched the entirety of the game in the one-on-one ESPN sports office in the back of the station here because they have a nice big TV in there. I kind of feel like you're starting to look down on TMA, which is something that nobody in the area does. And you're like, I'm kind of more HD1 than HD2. That's what—that's the sense I'm getting. You Not mean, at you're, all. you're dating Marsh. 
uh, yeah, hell some, there. <laughs> some odd uh, relationship with Rockio where you're chasing him, but he won't go, but he kind of giggles. <laughs> and then whatever's going on with you and Tanner and is he out of town? Is he not out of town? And right. then you're, you're here all afternoon watching the game with the 101 people, people from TMA texting and can't get a response. Right. Yeah. I, I, that's a, what a, a tidy, cute little narrative that is. But in all honesty, and you can attest to this, the TMA office does not have a television set. Nor does it really have a wireless signal, <laughs> candidly. Right. And it, as I've discovered, it's become a place where people go to make private calls here in the building. And when one of us happen to be sitting there once every two months and then somebody walks in, they go, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know anybody was here. I go, this is our office. But honestly, feel free. <laughs> right. And so I watched it in the one-on-one office because they have a nice big TV. Um, yeah, I mean, that's HD1 living. That is. It seriously is. But right when the second half started, you know, the guys from the fast lane had to go do their show. I bet Jamie Rivers had you pinned up against the wall. Yeah, I was like, I was like, Jamie, I'm just trying to watch the game. He's like, get out of here, piddles. Yeah, exactly. Go to the HD2 facility. Right, exactly. So I was basically watching it by myself in the office there for the second half. And then when they won, I was jumping around. I was looking for someone to like, you know, share this joy with. And Did then, you run in here and grab Marsh? And then people were walking by, like looking at me where I was like, oh, I forgot I am at an office. I'm at work. I am not at BPV with Marshy Marsh. So I, uh, I got to control myself, but it was a great place to watch. And uh, I really, I, the last 15 minutes put me through the ringer. That was uh it was tough at the end, but what a fun game to watch, and it was great. Great game. I legitimately loved it. Now, uh, unlike the game against England, and to an extent the game against Wales, and I'm curious um, what you and the audience, your thought was, it was an odd deal. I'm trying to compare it to maybe like when the Cardinals are playing somebody, and you're going... They just, they can't hit. And maybe, hell, it could have been the Cardinals, actually, when the Cardinals are playing somebody. <laughs> and you go, oh, crap, now Goldschmidt and Arnado are done, and we got to wait until they come up again. Uh, that, yeah, if Iran would be, you know, on the attack, number one, you could freeze frame it, and there'd be, like, three players in white white jerseys and, like, six in blue. It just wasn't a sweat until the very end. Then I felt like I was watching that Blues Avalanche game where they had the five on three at the end and then the empty net, so it became a six on three. And then it just became anarchy right. at the end, and the Iranian players are falling all over and looking for penalties, and I understand that. Any team would do the, that song and dance. But I just never felt a threat in the United States' dominated play. I'll tell you, I think the, the half the United States dominated the most was probably in the game that most fans would consider to be the the most disappointing outcome, and that was the first half against Wales. Yeah. They dominated that, but uh, didn't do much with it. But this one dominated, were able to get the goal from Christian Pulisic, and were in a spot to get the second. Uh, Tim Weah offsides by, I would say, less than a foot. Yeah, half a body length is what they said. But in the end, they do win, and uh, people are fired up, man. As they I'm should excited. Be. They take on the Netherlands at 9 a.m. St. Louis time. On uh, Saturday morning, yep. and uh, this is the math for the gamblers. The Netherlands are minus two thirty-five to advance, but that's not that big uh-uh. of a favorite. No, against so, England, they were England was like minus five fifty or right. something. So that's 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 your exact. It was a big number, and yeah. so I want to put that in, in perspective here. And you know, the United States has played some impressive soccer here. Oh, yeah. There's been one goal 
Yeah, one goal. Yeah, and it was a penalty kick. Right. You know, and it was probably it was probably the United States' biggest mistake, maybe minus Matt Turner running to midfield against Wales at the at the end, but uh, on uh, on on the penalty kick. Uh, from Jackson's friend Gareth, <laughs> Wales. But other than that, it has been really rock solid defensively. The issue is you're going to have to score some goals, and where is that going to come from? Right. And the Netherlands has scored five goals in their three uh, group stage games, so they are they're they're a good scoring team. They're good defensively. But just like anything, it's 90 minutes of soccer. Anything can really happen. And if the U.S. continues to, if Pulisic can come play, because that's a big factor. You know, he says he's ready to play, but We'll see his day-to-day. But if they come out and they play anything like they did against Iran or England, they'll be in every single game. I mean, there, there's going to obviously be competition ahead that's going to be next otherworldly. But, hey, you got you got players in front of you, and let's see. I love it. Uh, here, is, uh, here is what we've got going on. If they were to get past the Netherlands, there is a chance, and I would actually say it's probably likely if you were to list the possible teams, that they would play Argentina after that and Messi. How do you do? God, that would be so awesome. That would be so awesome. Just to be able to like, like go up against Argentina, who's a powerhouse, and get to play Leo Messi and probably, almost certainly, his final World Cup, that would be everything. How do you do? That would be everything. And on a Friday, most likely it would be. Whew, Friday or Saturday, so that'd be perfect. Man, that'd be awesome. What would you and Marsh do? Paint the town red, that's for sure. <laughs> I don't know what, man. Would you invite Rocky and Tanner? Or of course, you... of course. They're every, everyone's I noticed invited. your voice pitch got higher. But just barely, though. But I still picked up on it. Right. It's the kind of nuance that I'm trained to observe. <laughs> uh, so there it is. Are you catching the spirit of the World Cup in the United States now? Are you still not interested? If you weren't interested in before, if you were interested, are you even more fired up now? 65780 is how you can text in. Coming up after our commercial break, Darren Pang is going to join us. Blues and Hurricanes here on 101 ESPN tomorrow, pregame. At 6 p.m., we'll talk it over with Panger. You're welcome to send your questions in for Darren Pang if you would like as well. 65780. And you're going to want to stick around for this Mike Maddox interview uh, with Chris Russo. Detail on what went on in the ninth inning with Helsley. Detail with what went on in the sixth inning with Quintana. And then also uh, Maddox explaining why he went from not wanting to be a pitching coach uh, three weeks earlier to becoming a pitching coach again. We'll have that for you along with Ken Rosenthal's report after his conversation talking with John Mazalak. That's all coming up, too. You don't want to go anywhere. It's Balloon Party 108. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time to talk Blues Hockey with Darren Payne. Holy jump and wow. what a save. Oh my. Refreshed by Urban Chestnut Brewing Company and their Urban Underdog Lager. Prost. Welcome back. 101 ESPN. Tim McKernan with you to the top of the hour. And it is our pleasure to welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen, the great Darren Pang. Panger, good morning. Tim, how are you feeling uh, this week, big guy? Boy, yeah, it was it was a little rough last week. Yeah. And I know you would have grinded through it. And I'm, you know, I am what I am, which is a, a fraud, candidly. But uh, the family's been getting hit by it. I don't know. How are you doing? Are you feeling or you're traveling all over the place? Yeah, you are a little soft, but uh, you know what I do? I, uh, I, right, Jackson? Jackson knows that. Um, hey, maybe, hey, maybe a little. I don't know. I, I, I probably I probably would have sucked it up and gone to work. Yeah, yeah, but, I understand. Um, yeah, no, you know what I do is I, I, I drink a lot of uh, Urban Underdog. That's the key. That is the key. That's the key. That, that, 
that knocks it out of your system, and you, you you add a little bourbon in there, and hot water, and lemon, and honey, and you're off and running. God, you're good I, to go. I gotta tell you, I kind of like I, I like I like this anecdote that you're coming up with, or anecdote I should say. Anecdotes a story, anecdotes a medicine. Let's figure it out here. Both Jackson. work. Thank you so much, uh, Panger. I know you're on a tight schedule. You got the the Wings and the Sabers this evening, and some coaches interviews. So I want to get you in and get you on out. But uh, let me get your perspective on where things are with this team through the month of November. Bizarro world, long losing streak, long wing streak and now three of the last four it's looked a little little questionable and really the first couple periods against florida were questionable up until the comeback on saturday night what are you what are you thinking this blues team is at the quarter point welcome to the wide world of the national hockey league yeah. i mean streaky I mean, year man at, well look at la- look at last night nine eight hockey game uh between seattle and, and the la kings come from behind wins i mean on on the same night there was a three goal you know, a three-goal lead was lost or won, however you want to think about it, between the uh, what was that the Rangers game and the and our you know and our game in Florida. I mean, there's there's really it's a league right now. Whether it continues this way or not, I'm not sure. But it, it's really a non-checking league. It's it's a it's you know when you check and you check hard and you take care of business, you win hockey games. And when you play a freelance game and you play a I call it a kind of a European flow drill game. And you know, and it's it's all over the ice and it and it can be beautiful. And the, the passing is exquisite, and you can go board to board, and you can go uh, coast to coast like butter on toast. You can do a lot of things, nice. but but at one point, I think you've got to you know you got to have that conviction to check, and and so that's probably a frustrating part. I I thought Dallas played a really good game the other night. I mean, you look at both the teams. I think Dallas is they're humming right now. It's a different Dallas team. Might have caught the Blues by surprise with the way they attacked more so than maybe in the past. I think in the past they were more of a they defended well, but they were kind of a backup defending team. Uh, the last game, I think our our forwards got the puck on, you know along the boards or right in front of me, and and you know instead of an easy entry or or get the puck in deep and and not have icing, bang, there was one of their defensemen stepping up, and and so it was a bit of an adjustment game. And but the one thing is, I, I thought when the Blues were getting back into that game after that beautiful tip by Brandon Saad. Mm-hmm. I thought they could have fired more pucks on net. I, I just, I just think for whatever reason they're reluctant to shoot on the net when the clock is ticking. You're playing the clock, you're managing the clock, and you've got to get pucks towards the net. And I didn't think they did enough of that. So um, maybe, maybe looking less for the next play and, and just getting back to the meat and potatoes of this game is, is, would be beneficial at some point, especially when you're needing a little energy and and you creating a little bit of chaos against the backup goaltender because that's what Scott Wedgwood is um it's not Jake Ottinger the number one guy it's the backup and uh i didn't think they threw enough at him and even though he made some great saves yeah. I, I think that's that's an area that the blues have got to maybe maybe get to with that mentality changing a little bit with the with the way the team has actually changed as well trying to get an idea of what is going on here with with not taking care of your own net all the lapses on the little things uh, not consistently going to the net what do you think of the cause of it especially in a season where they can see extended success in the form of a long win streak when they do take care of the little things and then long losing streaks when they don't it's just such a stark contrast right now what what are, what are your thoughts on that look at look at the league look at the way the league is like Buffalo lost what seven in a row. They can put they you know they can put together a seven game winning streak. Uh, how many te- how many teams have gone through this? Pittsburgh lost seven or eight in a row and then turned around and won five. The Blues did the same thing. Like what is what is it? I think it from line to line, from sequence to sequence. I don't think it's as consistent as we've seen in the past. You know what I mean? Like before you could watch the game and go, wow, they're on their game. That is the identity of that hockey team. 
The St. Louis Blues get it in deep. They hold on to pucks. They're considered a heavy team. They're heavy on pucks. They're strong on pucks. Well, you know, that game is sort of gone. Um, it's the evolution of the skill that they've, that, that, that's been brought in, and it's incredible skill. But you, you don't quite see that let's wear the other team out mentality as much as you see let's wear them down on a rush game. Like the Blues are one of the best rush teams in the NHL. Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas and Bushnevich, they get the puck in the offensive zone and bang, and then they pull up and they look for the next play. Whereas before, you know, it'd be more like what the Josh Levo, Ryan O'Reilly, Brandon Sod line is bringing to the table. They're direct. They get that puck in deep. They go chase it down. They hunt it. And, and they're having some success, some success that way. Um, but from line to line, it's not the same makeup as it is. So it's one of those things where we kind of got to not get used to it, but got to, that, that's the way the team is right now. It's not going to change. They're going to razzle-dazzle you with a lot of the great rush moves and, uh, and come at you with a lot of speed. If they can combine that part of it, I think, with a little bit more cycle down low game and a, just a little bit more of, of, a, of a game in which you put pucks more directly at the net, I think you've got a fabulous combination. And I think that's the secret to success because you don't want to eliminate what they have, which is the great skill and the rush entries and the home run pass that you saw from, you know, Krug to, to Cairo in yeah. the fourth game. But you still got to get that puck towards the net. And you've got to be a little bit more relentless that way. Darren Pang with us. He is in Detroit, Red Wings and Sabres. He'll be on the call of that one. And he has some coaches' interviews to tend to. So next week we'll focus on my number of strokes gained around the green. But this okay. week we will have to we will have to leave that on the table, unfortunately. Well, you're like you're like Tiger Woods not being able to play because you know it's bad foot. That's like, correct. That's correct. The, the illness last week, me and Tiger once again compared. It's just yeah. it's it's cliche at this point. You're the GOAT, kid. You're the GOAT. <laughs> Thanks, Panger. Appreciate it. Okay, buddy. Take Have it a easy. Great day. That is uh, Darren, you take, man, that's Darren Pang with us uh, here talking it over, and uh, he will be on the TNT call of the Red Wings and the Sabres, giving us his perspective. Blues and Hurricanes right here on 101 ESPN pregame tomorrow night at 6 p.m. Uh, coming up on the other side of our commercial break, you will hear from Mike Maddox on the ninth inning with Helsley, the decision to pull Quintana in the sixth inning. And sometimes it'll be like, yeah, that's nearly two months old. Why are we talking about it? I still feel like people are talking about it. It's the first time you'll hear Mike Maddox talking about it. Plus, he left the team, said, well, John Mazalak said, he just wants to get away from the daily grind of being a pitching coach. And then three weeks later, he took a pitching coach job. You'll hear his reasoning for that as well. That's all coming up next. This is Balloon Party on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome back. This is Balloon Party on 101 ESPN. My name is Timothy Michael McKernan. That is Action Jackson. And uh, welcome to the program, a program that solicits your involvement by texting in to our Air Comfort Service. Text line 65780. Darren Pang with us in the previous segment. If you missed it, you can always podcast. Dobbs Tire and Auto Center's podcast. I'll have Panger up as we talk about the blues and the state of things a quarter of the way into the season. So I've uh, deep teased this, Jackson. Mike Maddox was on yesterday with uh, Chris Russo, uh, Mad Dog, and uh, Maddox just took the pitching coach job in Texas with the Rangers. Uh, And this comes uh, less than a month, actually, after he left the Cardinals staff. And John Mazalek said that he wanted to get away from the, uh, the daily grind of being a pitching coach. 
Um, and so we'll hear from Maddox on on that topic uh, as to why he decided to get back into it. Um, but what the focal point of the first three quarters of the interview with Mad Dog was on was Chris Russo asking him about the Cardinals' management of Game 1 against the Phillies. So this isn't limited to St. Louis. Uh, this is this is a national show. Guy with his own, you know, TV show, radio show, channel, yeah, Series XM. It's a whole thing, and I, it is one of those things that I do feel like is still lingering, even though it's been nearly two months. I mean, it's November thirtieth. That game took place like I don't know, October seventh or something. Yeah, and. It's, it's what people remember, the ninth inning, Helsley, because it's a best of three. And if you win that thing, there's a good chance the Philadelphia Phillies never win the pennant. And who knows what winds up happening. So here is Chris Russo. It's a thorough answer. This isn't like a 10-second soundbite. We're not short attention span here mm-hmm. on this program. This, mm-hmm. is, this, is, this is detailed answers in media is the name of this uh, program. <laughs> here is Mike Maddox uh, with Mad Dog yesterday. The first thing. Second thing is, you got to help me out here. I didn't like it, and so you can explain. Game one, Phillies. Marmol came out early. I thought maybe he'd leave him in. And now, bullpen, you used the closer an awful lot when he was wild. I'm sure you've thought about it a lot. This is the first I've had a chance to talk to you about it. Explain game one against Philadelphia, which is the key to the series, early in the game in that ninth inning. Go ahead. I'm interested. Well, I, I think if, uh, you know, it goes back to what happened on, what was it, Tuesday? When um, Ryan Helsley went out there and threw against Pittsburgh, he got a uh, little broken bat comebacker to him. He went down to break his fall and uh, jammed his finger. So uh, on he come out of the game, and then on Wednesday he was, you know, sore but better. And then Thursday we had a workout, and we told him to take it easy, but everything was, you know, all arrows pointed up that he was going to be fine. So he played us. He did a little light spinning of the ball. I took the ball away. Said no. If it feels this much better after 24 hours, the next 24 is going to be feel really fine. So uh, then Friday rolls around in game one. All the pregame stuff went well. Once again, I told him less is more on this thing, but he was really adamant about um, making sure that he was good. And after he did his full warm up routine pregame, he was fine. He actually came into the eighth inning and. Got us out of that thing with a couple punch outs and or a couple outs had a strikeout and a, got an out. So he was he was fine. Then he came in, strikes out Reese Hoskins to start the inning. And then um, what happened after that? It was a base hit by Ramudo and a walk to Harper. At that point, he started spraying the ball. I get on the phone. I missed a couple pitches to uh, Castellanos. And um, you say I I wish I could have seen a couple of those pitches, but I was on the phone communicating with the bullpen and then I did see the pitch to bomb and that's where we went out there and it was tightened up on him and he was about you know 20 some odd pitches deep but you know for the first 15 pitches he had no issues so we didn't really didn't look to see like anything was wrong because he was you know throwing strikes with good stuff he's still throwing 100 miles an hour and doing what he did all year and he was so good for us all year you knew that he was just going to get it done. Uh, of course, it did not wind up working out that way. What stood out to me in that thorough answer with Mike Maddox talking it over with Chris Mad Dog Russo yesterday is that Maddox said he was on the phone for a few pitches, so he didn't see it. Now, I'm not saying that he's making that up. I'm just saying that I would say there are approximately, I'll go 30 seconds on the on the low end, 45 seconds on the high end, in between a pitch 
a call, in this case, guys running for their lives from the baseball that was coming at them or uh, Molina scrambling to, to catch the ball that was way out of the strike zone. I just don't know. I, I haven't made a phone call to a bullpen before. Not yet. Not yet. There's I'm, I'm in talks, but there strikes me as being brief phone calls. Right. Hey, say, why don't we get Flaherty up? Yeah. Get a couple guys warm. All right. Got it. You know. Yeah. Hey, do you like Missouri against South Carolina this week? <laughs> yeah. And that's not what we're talking about. We right. just go, this is what we got going on. And then we'll. So that surprised him that he missed, missed some pitches. Yeah. Right. That, that that certainly is odd. I don't know what to say outside of it. It surprises me. Um, and it's unfortunate that he missed the pitches because it may have played a role in the card. Now, Mike Maddox, however, was not the only coach slash manager in the dugout. There are a potpourri of people in there who, yeah. who could have said something or seen something if he was on the phone talking to, I'm again, I'm operating the premise it was the bullpen coach. Perhaps it was... You know, a friend who we hadn't heard from in a while. Sure. Uh, here is what he had to say about Quintana and getting pulled early in the game. All right, Quintana there in his 72 pitches in the top of the sixth. He was going great. You guys took him out a little early, I thought. Explain. Go ahead. Oh, we had it kind of scripted out that if we could get to a certain part of the lineup, um, you know, we what well, we had it all drummed down. We said, you know, the, uh, the tough part here is going to be when um, Quintana goes out there and he just lights out. I said, well, we got to stay disciplined in what we're doing. I think the uh, if you looked at uh, Hoskins and um, he was a he's got a huge uh, righty lefty split. You know, he's a lefty killer, and uh, he had gotten him out a couple times. And we just figured that that was a time to bring in a right hander, especially in Jordan Hicks, who's uh, definitely going to keep the ball in the ballpark, and he could face those guys. And and he did. You know, he came in. Uh, he ended up uh, he, he got the outs. All right, so he finishes the sixth, and then we go out in the seventh and. We throw up the donut there, and we throw up the donut in the eighth inning, and it came down to the ninth. So, you know, whether we took Quintana out too early or too late, it water under the bridge because we we got to our guy in the ninth inning with a two-run lead the way we wanted. So I think all all moves were were fine. Yeah, on that, I actually don't have as big of an issue with the Quintana thing as I think most Cardinal fans do. I don't know how many Cardinal fans did in the moment. I know some people did because I, I was actually active on Twitter during the game that day, and there were some people in the moment before they, they blew it in the ninth inning who weren't happy about that. Um, but I disagree with Maddox saying that, well, we got to our guy in the ninth inning, so it wound up working out. You actually got to your guy who, as you acknowledge, was coming off of an injury three days earlier in the eighth inning. And you got to him in the eighth inning because the process began early because you pulled Quintana in the sixth inning with a low number of pitches and you were a little hesitant on allowing Gallegos to continue. So you pulled him after what I believe was a four pitch walk, if memory serves. So that answer again, I mean, you know, it, 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 I just, and I'm not saying there's a cover up. It's just, I feel like it's a little bit of convenient interpretation of what actually transpired and or a rather long phone call to the bullpen that is explaining away <laughs> what is one of the more disappointing Cardinal postseason losses. I mean, hell, they had never lost a game. They were leading in the ninth inning going into the game, if, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, There's some statistic along those lines. Uh, so, so with that all said, uh, Jackson, uh, John Mazalek said um, with regards to Mike Maddox uh, leaving the Cardinals, that the Cardinals wanted him to stay and were discussing uh, keeping him. 
but uh, it did not wind up uh, playing out that way because Maddox wanted to get away from the daily grind that is a uh, pitching coach. He said uh, Maddox has been with the Cardinals since October of 17 and cited a desire to, quote, return to a slower pace as his reasoning for stepping down, was Zalek indicated, an intention to offer Maddox a contract extension as well. Um, so Mike Maddox then three weeks later accepted the pitching coach job with the Rangers. Here is his reasoning for doing so. Well, you know what? Uh, I tell you what, dog, I was, um, you know, coming home ready to slow down. I took a little vacation. I went over to Scotland to enjoy a week of golf. And I saw that the Rangers hired Bochi. And I was like, wow, Bruce Bochi, man, that's that's pretty cool. You know, he was out of the game for a couple of years, got right back in it. And so I started to revisit what I wanted to do. And I said, you know what, maybe uh, maybe that's something for me. So I actually uh, welcomed that um, Texas wanted to speak with me. And that is his reasoning for getting back into the game as a pitching coach, Bruce Bochi becoming the manager of the team that uh, is in the area where he lives. I will say this, just because you have had a bunch of changes doesn't mean there is a problem. And I think it's important to state that. With that said, the Cardinals, dating back to the Whitey Herzog hire, have had this Pittsburgh Steelers-like stability. Steelers had Chuck Knoll, Bill Cowher, and now Mike Tomlin. The Rooney family prides itself on stability. And I would tell you... The Cardinals and the DeWitts pride themselves on stability. And in both cases of both organizations, I think they'd be considered the standards for consistency, not a lot of drama, relatively speaking, and organizations that players want to play for, coaches want to coach for, even though they are in cities that aren't necessarily uh, viewed as the most cosmopolitan of options. Uh, If you have an opportunity, for example, to live in L.A. or San Diego, uh, I think people would oftentimes go, yeah, but, you know, maybe that organization isn't as stable as coming and living in the Midwest and playing for or coaching for uh, the DeWitts or playing for coaching for the Roonies and the Steelers. But the Cardinals have had a lot of turnover here as of late. And, you know, hey, you might like Bruce Bochy and the Rangers may be, you know, an hour away from where your home is, but you still are now going right back into being a pitching coach. And this is not an organization that's kind of just hanging out. The Rangers are attempting to make a run next year. And as Mike Maddox knows firsthand, that's an organization that 11 years ago was one out away, one strike away, two different times. He was the pitching coach on that team for Ron Washington uh, and they are hungry to get it done. So he will be in the pressure cooker in Dallas, yeah. where they're fighting for attention up against the Cowboys, of course, in particular, which they'll never pass. But it depends on which one's hot at the time. Right now, the Stars are in first place, and you know the Mavericks are a hot ticket there, even when they're not that great. So with that all said, he's right back into the middle of it. Does it make you question him leaving, Jackson? Be honest with me. You can be honest with no. me. And if the answer is no, the answer is no. If the answer is yes, the answer is yes. You don't have. You don't owe me anything. You owe Marsh the truth. It's just you two. <laughs> no, because I, I. I mean, I. I understand that. You know, maybe I want to have a slower pace. Meaning, kind of, I want to be at home. I want to be, you know, somewhere where you know I, I've lived forever. And and then when something like this comes along with Bochi, who he's, you know. He really respects and likes, not to say he doesn't respect or like Marmol or the DeWitts, but that opportunity simply made him change his mind. And I think, I believe him. You know, I don't think it's uh, anything nefarious or anything like that. I just think 
that this was a situation that he preferred and uh, chose it. I don't think that he's lying in between the, the time in between where he said, I just want a slower pace. I don't know if it necessarily means that he dislikes anybody or anything right. per se. But with that said, Bruce Bochy was a manager in the 1990s. And then, of course, won world championships with the Giants mm-hmm. and, then, and then shut it down. What I would tell you is this. And if he is coming back when he doesn't need to at this point in his life, he probably, I would think, goes, okay, I'll do this, but I got to do it my way. I'm not coming back to have somebody who's 40 years younger than me, you know, right. tell me that the math is this. So we're going to abide by the way I managed successfully in San Diego and the way I managed successfully in San Francisco. And if that's cool with you guys, I'll consider coming out of retirement. If it's not, that's fine. Go get a numbers guy. Yeah. So that's that's how I'm coming to that conclusion. And Mike Maddox has been a pitching coach, not to say pre-analytics, but he pitched in the game, certainly more pre-analytics. His brother pitched in a game. His brother, I've had him on a show, a show I did with Jim Edmonds, certainly uh, cuts to the chase on things. And he isn't in a spot where he's going to go, oh, I'll come back and then have the front office or somebody tell right. me how to run it. In other words, the fit may be better because he might be able to manage with less numbers guys telling him how to go about doing things or or for a manager who has to adhere to numbers guys telling him how to things. So that doesn't mean somebody likes or dislikes somebody, but the system may be more conducive to what he likes. And that's what Bruce Bochy may be able to run in Arlington, Texas. Your thoughts are welcome. Six, five, seven, eight, zero. We have a series of questions from Jackson coming up uh, on the other side of the break. You are listening to Balloon Party on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Smorgasbord segment. Smorgasbord segment. (laughs) I feel like we should do a sounder, some hackneyed sounder. Smorgasbord segment. Uh, Tim, uh, the Tigers are 8-0 and all you're talking about is a former pitching coach. Shame, shame, shame. I am certain, and I mean certain, and this is coming from a Missouri fan. I am certain there is more interest in what Mike Maddox had to say about the Cardinal playoff game nearly two months ago than there is about Missouri-Wichita State. And Jackson, I even know you will agree with me on that. And we were both watching what was a hideous telecast of that game last night. It looked like something that was on public access following I'm Hep in early 1990 or maybe Worldwide Magazine, two of my favorite shows for the record brief aside on that something to note is after every free throw they would zoom they would zoom in during the free throw like normal but they didn't roll the camera back to get a natural pan out they would just hard pan it was like hard pan crank it back to get it back to the normal view it was one of the worst broadcasts i've ever seen what, what made it tolerable for me is that the colonel gabriel pd armand who is so loath of twitter <laughs> that he got rid of his personal account and just tweets from the power mizzou account was clearly irritated by it and that made me happier that the colonel was voicing. It was just a hideous broadcast. But I got to tell you, I was impressed by what I saw. Now, Missouri's 8-0 because Missouri has been, you know, taking it easy on the schedule. You as a huge Missouri basketball fan will acknowledge that. Of course. I mean, you got ILL beating Syracuse. ILL's legit. For real. For real. Um, But they were down by 10 with five minutes left. And I'm like, God, all I want to do is watch this episode that we were talking about in the commercial break of White Lotus. 
and I'm going to watch the rest of this. And every 10 seconds, the, the screen goes out, and I got two guys who are Wichita State fans calling the games. Apparently, Bob, some guy named Bob coached, but I think it's a chance he coached like an epiphany 20 years ago. I don't know where he coached. And the broadcast is terrible, and I'm watching this thing, and all of a sudden, Missouri's closing it to three, and I'm going, God. These guys, I feel like past teams would have packed it in. Yeah, yeah. And here they are. And then the thing that I loved the most, and it didn't result in a win in regulation, they wound up winning by four in overtime, was with 20 seconds left, call a timeout, you got a chance to win it. And this was something that I feel like in the past, and maybe this is unfair, Missouri would have passed it around the perimeter and then some guy with two seconds left would have thrown up a contested three. Yeah. And I, what the hell do you do in the timeout? Right, exactly. Well, Gates calls a play, a beautiful backdoor cut for Hodge, correct? Des Moines Hodge, yeah. And he gets fouled. Either way, he's going to get an open look or he's going to get fouled. I think yep. that was the thought process. I loved what I saw. I think that maybe they were down a point there, actually. Were, and he had to hit two free throws. Yeah. He made one, missed one. And yep. It went to overtime. I was super impressed. I realized Wichita State is not the Greg Marshall Final Four Wichita State, but still, that was their toughest test to date. So uh, I enjoyed the hell out of it, and it makes me excited for what's coming a week from Saturday, which I know you circled a long time ago, which is Rock Chalk Jayhawk. Oh, yeah. Coming to uh, Columbia in the Bragging Rights game on the 22nd. Forget about it, huh? Oh, that man. could be a pony with ILL being what they are. Yeah, it really could be. Um, and, you know, every Illinois Mizzou game, for the most part, is close. So even if Illinois is probably a little head in talent, but the way Missouri plays, they create chaos and they force turnovers and then they score by assisting. That's good basketball. That's what good basketball teams do. So what they lack in size and maybe one-on-one scoring, they can make up for in, in heart. Uh, all right. Uh, I said it's a smorgasbord segment. Uh, Jackson's questions, and I'm going rat-a-tat-tat delivery here. Uh, what a win for the USMNT. That, the last 15 minutes really did a number on my stress levels. I'm reading Jackson's questions, <laughs> even a, though he has a microphone. Consciousness. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, safe to say we are both casual soccer fans who really enjoy the World Cup. I would agree with that, but I, I would like to be more than a casual fan because yeah. I really do enjoy the game. Me too. Uh, what did you think of the team's performance? Seemed to me that they were creating scoring chances and were aggressive enough to break through in the first. Are you concerned about Pulisic's availability versus the Netherlands? Furthermore, even if they lose on Saturday, we consider this a successful World Cup for the lads. Oh, why, why'd you have to do that at the end with for the lads? You know. When you, a... when you and Marsh are under the snuggy together, do you call them the lads? I'm just kind of a, a zany character, so I like throwing out words like lads. Lads. Uh, I'll go, uh, let me take the last one first. Uh, yeah, I would. I actually would. Yeah. For where American expectations are. Now, with that said, I think the United States has outplayed their opponent in every game. Yep. And it's not like this, now this wasn't a group of death. No. But this was, you know, there was some talent in this thing. Iran is no joke. Wales is no joke. And England is one of the top five team in the world. So, I got to, minus giving up the, the penalty that led to the draw in the first game and really the first 30 minutes of the second half of the game against Wales, they have, if these were boxing matches, my horrible analogy that I use all the time, it would be like 10-8 in the first half against Wales, mm-hmm. probably 10-9, 10-9 against England, 10-8 easily in the first half. I mean, Iran was clearly in let's just draw mode, <laughs> yeah. and they knew they didn't have it, and I watching it wasn't concerned that they were going to score until it, it felt like it was 20 on uh, 11 there at the end. Um, I've been really impressed, and I don't, I don't rule out at all them going deeper than just getting to the Netherlands on Saturday. Oh, I agree. And if that can happen 
that's the kind of thing that can get people going. Because your next question is about uh, the possibility of this World Cup plus with the United States hosting the one in 2026. A question that, and I'm not dismissing it, it's just having done television and radio as long as I have in the market, it's something that that pops up every four years. And even when I was in high school and they were playing in 94 in the United States uh, and then the women's team in 99, Is this the moment that's going to lead to soccer being huge in the United States? You include less youth playing football, yeah, as in the American football, um, potentially playing a role in it. It hasn't happened, and but we talk about it every four years. Is, is this going to be the breakthrough? Is this going to be the breakthrough? Obviously, it didn't happen in 2018 with the United States not qualifying for it. I feel like this has the chance to be an accelerator because if the team can get to the quarterfinals, uh, and if they were to play Messi, yeah. what that does, I mean, I don't know how many kids I see with Messi jerseys oh, on. They're just everywhere. Yeah. Um, and then uh, and then the World Cup being in the United States, you could have that happen. I, I would say for women's soccer, what the 99 team did oh, yeah. with, wow, well, question, right. was, was a huge moment. You're seeing the effects of it you know, now, now we are two decades later. Yeah. So I would personally love to see it. Locally, it's already huge, and now you have... Uh, city starting up, so it's it's already a big deal. But I do I do think the potential is there. It's just a question that I feel like is asked every four years, yeah. and I haven't necessarily seen it come to fruition. All right, it is time for us to shut it down. BK and Ferrari are coming up at the top of the hour. For Action Jackson, I'm Tim McKernan. This has been Balloon Party on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.